Welcome to the Narrator's Podcast. I'm Robert Rutherford. And I'm Andrew Orvidal. This podcast collects stories that were told at the Narrator's, a monthly storytelling event that features people telling true stories based on a theme. The show takes place on the third Thursday of every month at the Deer Pile in Denver, Colorado. This episode of the Narrator's was recorded live on May 16th. The theme of the evening is fake. Your next storyteller, she has an online radio show called Comic Sense Radio at tradiov.com slash Denver. She also has a great blog where she she chronicles uh, her online dating struggles called onlinedatinggems.com, and she comes across quite a few of them. Um, please welcome, uh, she's a great comedian, please welcome Jody Champion. This is so awesome. I really haven't done this show in years. Good for you, Andrew. Shit. Give it up for Andrew for doing that. I'm going to sit because I don't know how to stand and read this at the same time. That's hard. Um, <clears throat> it's not a funny story. <laughs> Sorry. Um, in March of 2006... I got married to a New Yorker in a downtown Buffalo courthouse for health insurance. (laughs) It seemed like a really good idea at the time because he was my boyfriend and I loved him. And uh, I thought that we would get married eventually. So um, it was really stupid, but that's what I did. By October of 2006, I discovered that I had absolutely no idea who he was. Like, Pseudiologica Fantastica. He would lie about everything, about things he didn't even need to lie about. And it was really strange. Um, I realized that I'd kind of been just taken in by a really gifted salesman and nothing more. By the end, he had destroyed my credit and squandered my entire savings Uh, after you merge the assets. Uh, But the biggest problem, to my horror, was that he had an affinity for prescription drugs. He was basically a white-collar drug addict. By Halloween of that same month, I found out that I was pregnant. The web of his lies and excuses are vast, and the most common thing that he would do would be uh, to steal any ADHD medicine that I have. I'm a comedian, so obviously I have ADHD. <laughs> he would steal five here, or two there, or ten sometimes, and like he would like, depending on the amount that was taken and how much he could try and play it off, like I was insane and that like I was making it up. Um, it would always end up being him saying something like, "You're a crazy spoiled princess, and you're just looking for drama." It was either that or he would just beg me to forgive him, only the latter. (laughs) The latter was rare. In July of 2008, in the kitchen of our apartment, he collapsed and was writhing on the floor when not a moment before he had been holding our baby. His lips turned blue, and I thought that he was dead. So I called 911, and an ambulance ride later, I learned that he had bitten halfway through his tongue uh, due to what had been a seizure, which was caused by taking a lethal overdose of tramadol. 
I told him that I was leaving him many, 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 many times before, but that same night <clears throat> in the ER, I meant it, and I think he knew it. What if you dropped Jack? You could have fucking dropped my baby. You could have killed my baby. You could have severely disabled our child. Do you realize that? And then in his most traumatic plea ever, uh, one more chance. Just give me one more chance. And I agreed, but I was lying. <laughs> it was my turn to lie and to be fake because for the first time ever in our relationship, I realized that I needed to get out and I needed time to figure out how and when and I didn't want him to sabotage that, so I lied. Um, a typical question for a comedian is, why did you start doing stand-up? And <clears throat> for me, the truth is that I, I always wanted to, but I never thought that I would ever have the courage to try to do it. I started a month after his overdose, and I think I did because something inside me kind of snapped, and I had been so fake for so long in this horrible, horrible, awful marriage, and I hated my life <laughs> to the point to where I felt reckless enough to just try it, um, which kind of worked out, so that's good, I guess. Um, <clears throat> My, my ex was really controlling and very emotionally abusive. And controlling and abusive men will snap too as soon as they see whatever woman they're with making strides in any kind of independence, which I would soon find out. September 9th, 2008. After performing for the third time ever, which was actually at the Squire Lounge... <laughs> Uh, I got home and I discovered that a small amount of Percocet that I'd recently been prescribed because I had a back injury was completely gone. And I thought, like, great, here we go again. <laughs> Nuclear domestic disturbance of an argument. The only difference this time was that he knew for sure that I, I really was leaving him. And he shouted, I know about your secret divorce research. You left the browser window open, you stupid bitch. And I was like, fuck. <laughs> Never leave in a hurry from your computer to do a comedy show if you're secretly trying to leave your husband. <laughs> um, and then he would say, like, he would always say, like, over my dead body, you're going to leave me. Or, like, over my dead body, you're going to fucking take my son away from me. So that was the reason it was such a secret. Um, he'd never been physical before. But on this night, for the first time, uh, he shook me for what seemed like an hour in this really, really bad argument that we were having. And when he finally stopped, he shoved me uh, really hard up against the wall, and he called me a silly cunt, and he turned to leave the room, and then I screamed at him because I was really fucking mad because he had just shaken me really hard uh, that if he wasn't... <laughs> Here's another tip. Don't say anything about a man and his penis when he's that mad. Um, I screamed, if, you're not, if you weren't such a loser drug addict, maybe you'd be able to get your dick hard. And, uh, and then he, he came back over and he picked me up off the floor and he, and he headbutted me as hard as he could, right in my face. 
And the impact of it instantaneously shattered my mouth. <laughs> uh, knocked out several of my teeth and splintered quite a few of them. And I don't think I've ever screamed that loud in my entire life. It was, it was very immediate shooting, excruciating pain. And he covered my mouth and he told me to shut up over and over and over again. And when I finally stopped screaming, it was only because I was, I was like literally choking on my own blood. That's not funny, but I don't know how to say that without kind of laughing. Um, and I don't think it was until he actually saw the, the blood seeping through his fingers that he'd realized what he'd done. And when he did, he finally, he jumped off of me and he backed away and he looked terrified. I ran into the bathroom and I locked the door because uh, the bathroom in the apartment that we were living in was a Jack and Jill bathroom. So between the master bedroom and, the, and my son's bedroom, it was connected. So I, so I ran into the bathroom and I locked the door and I flew to my son's door and I locked his door. Um... And uh, shockingly, uh, my son was still sound asleep after like a two-hour argument. And after I screamed like that, it was bizarre. He was just completely unaffected and peaceful. <clears throat> so I went into the bathroom, and, uh, and I spat out like the pieces of my teeth into a hydrogen peroxide cap bottle, like, which was really stupid because I remember thinking, like, I got to clean them. <laughs> like I was going to need them later or something. It's also not funny, but it's kind of funny. Um, but I looked at myself in the mirror, and my eyes were just swollen to, like, the size of tennis balls from, like, all the crying and, and, and everything. And, like, I just blooming purple bruises everywhere right here, and my lip was black, and it was just, they were swollen, and I just, I looked like a complete fucking monster. <clears throat> but trying to quiet my mind from the sound of my husband uh, sobbing on the other side of the door. He was whimpering, and he was apologizing and begging me to open the door. Let me get you some ice. Let me get you a cold pack. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I don't know if anybody's had their teeth knocked out, but that is, like, the worst pain ever because it doesn't just hurt, like, on the surface, but, like, my head was throbbing. I don't know. That was me wasting time just now. Uh, I wasn't afraid at that point, and I wasn't scared. I remember not being scared as I was falling asleep because I just, uh, I laid down next to my son's crib, and I just, like, kind of put my hand through the bars of the crib, and I put my thumb in his palm and was holding him, and I just kept thinking, like, I couldn't believe that it had happened and that, like, it had gotten to this point and he was the only real thing in this home, this fake home and this fake loveless marriage. And I was, I was holding on to him and he was the only thing that mattered and I finally had a good enough reason to leave without having to look back. So we'd worked out a deal afterwards I said I won't file a police report but you have to give me full custody of Jack and uh, he agreed to that and I said but you also have to go to rehab and he agreed to that so I was fine with it <clears throat> but uh, 
a DHS, uh, Department of Human Services social worker, came and found me anyway because of a concerned phone call from my dentist. Um, I wanted to shoo her away because I was really humiliated. It's a really strange emotion to have after something like that has happened. But I, I was really embarrassed. I felt, I felt really trashy and stupid that I had stayed with somebody for that long that was that much of a fraud. But anyway, she gave me some paperwork. And um, one of the questions on the paperwork uh, was... Domestic violence is a serious offense punishable by law. Be honest about what happened before the assault, however much you feel responsible for antagonizing the aggressor. Please describe in detail what occurred directly before the incident. And underneath that, I wrote... (laughs) Dot, dot, dot. And then I said, you don't have the balls... Which I really thought was, like, funny. I don't know. Something happens when, like, I mean, what can you do outside of make jokes about it? She did not think it was funny. <laughs> she, uh, she handed it back to me, and she didn't even smirk or anything. She just stared, and she crumpled it up, and she gave me another sheet. She said, you need to rewrite your answer. And I sincerely hope that you've taken pictures of what he's done to your face, because it's not as funny as you think. I didn't mock the questionnaire to protect him. That wasn't why I did it. I think it was just to mask the emotional pain and, uh, and a desire to spare myself from what felt at the time to be this, this white trash humiliation. <clears throat> but it was, my, my reaction was just as fake as the marriage. Three things that you can never hide from besides car alarms that are going out Side the window. That is such a moment killer. I'm sorry. I know you guys are probably connected like humans and everything. We'll just pretend it's not happening. That's okay. <clears throat> Three things that you can never hide from are the sun and the moon and the truth. And when I stumble upon pictures of myself smiling when I was in that marriage, I it, it's like it's unmistakable for me. Like I can't. The smile doesn't reach my eyes. I was, I had a mouth full of real teeth, but a fake smile. And years later now, uh, I have a mouth full of fake teeth, but the smile reaches my eyes. So that's my story. That was Jody Champion. Um, this next guy, it's his first time doing the show. Second time, I must have missed the last time or didn't pay attention. <laughs> I've been doing the show a long time. Um, he's a banjo player from the Midwest who has split open his chin three times. It. Nailed it. Please welcome Barry Osborne. Last time I... Uh Turn it on. There we go. This time I'm already ahead. Hey, uh, uh, thanks to Andrew and also uh, my buddy Robert Rutherford, who isn't here tonight. But uh, Robert just graduated, uh, got his master's. So I think on the count of three, we should all give him a shout out. Congratulations, Robert. Ready? One, two, three. Congratulations, Robert. There we go. Thank you. (laughs) 
So I was thinking about this thing, fake, and um, couldn't really think of, of a good idea. I was just kind of riffing on it. And, um, you know, fake just kind of implies real. And then real to me just always implies uh, J-Lo and Ja Rule. So, you know, I got that going on. And, uh, and uh, what I started to think about was uh, my dad and uh, what's fake and what's real. And um, I grew up in the suburbs of Milwaukee, fairly, you know, upper middle class. And, uh, you know, Little League was like my biggest pressure and, and whatnot. And uh, my dad's from Southie, you know. So he, he really grew up, you know, in street gangs. You know, not, not shoot him up, but 1950s, 1960s, bare knuckle, tough guy, you know. Um, we got to be about 17. He was still a little young, but he enlisted in the Navy, um, just to get out of Southie. Um, when I was a kid, um, and we'd go camping, I would keep my socks on when we went into the pond because I didn't like the way the pond felt on my feet. So, <laughs> so you, you see where I'm going, fake and real. <laughs> so my dad gets out of the Navy. He becomes a cop and then a prison guard. And, uh, I have my master's in library science. So, <laughs> um, my folks split up when I was seven, and uh, my dad moved to the city. I stayed in the suburbs, and uh, he got remarried, had two kids from that marriage, and uh, he also uh, suffers from severe bipolar disorder, um, however you want to, bipolar, manic depression. And uh, despite my, my wackier days, uh, I've never held sway to uh, the manic that my dad has had to go through. Um, but this is a fun story, so just kind of getting that out there because you have to know my dad's bipolar. Because um, when I graduated college, um, I went to Madison, which is kind of like uh, the Wisconsin version of Boulder. Um, crappier weather, but better football team. You know, um, but I was 21, 22, and I went to go stay the weekend with my dad in, in Milwaukee with his wife and kids. And... Uh, so we're just hanging out Friday, Friday evening, and uh, usually what we do when we get settled in is we walk to the grocery store to buy uh, chips and dip. And so my dad's like, come on, let's go get chips and dip. And I'm like, okay, cool. We Grocery store just a few blocks away. And uh, we get outside, and I turn to go to the grocery store, and he's like, no, you got to come with me because got to run an errand. I'm like, okay, you know. So we get into the car, and he's like, he's like yeah, I got I to gotta go to Bill's house. And I'm like, okay, what's okay? And he's like, Bill's in a little bit of trouble. See, Bill is a guy who's in one of my dad's support groups. And um, he had apparently gotten into a dispute with his neighbor. And so um, he shot out the neighbor's window. And so my dad was like, yeah, Bill's just got to lay low a little bit. We're going to go to his house and pick up a change of clothes for him. And we're just going to let the heat die down. And I'm like... Okay, went in Rome, my South Boston dad on the north side of Milwaukee. So we drive over to Bill's house, and there's just kind of your basic urban ranch house, nothing too fancy, nothing too run down or anything. And my dad kind of walks around the house like the outside, just making sure nothing weird is going on. And uh, he, he gets the key from under a rock or under the doormat or something. And uh, so we go in through the front door, and for some reason I, I was like this. You know, I mean, we're inside the house, you know, and I'm just like, my dad's walking through the house and he's starting to look for clothes. And um, instead he, he finds a pair of rosary beads 
And he's like, huh, this looked like my rosary. You know, and he's like, okay. We walk a little bit more, and he finds, um, my dad loves Irish folk music. We find this cassette of Irish folk music that, like, you could only get at, like, the guy's concert. And he's like, huh, so, like, Bill's been stealing my dad's stuff. And so my dad gets a bag, and we just start putting all my dad's stuff in the bag, <laughs> and we're still not finding any clothes. So we're walking around, and I mean, we're finding weird stuff. Like, we, we're finding, like, these wooden salad bowls that my dad bought in the Philippines when he was in Vietnam, like, you know, on leave. So it's, like, really weird stuff. So the, and the whole time I'm thinking, we're stealing from a guy who, when he's pissed off with his neighbors, shoots their window out. So I'm going... And we're still not finding clothes. I don't know this house. And I'm just like, okay. My dad's like, not finding any clothes. When we go down to the basement, and I'm like, okay. Now, one thing to know about my dad is he's a, he's a great guy. South Boston, Navy, police, prison guard. He's, he's old school. Um, he's not completely insensitive. So... Um, he doesn't use, like, some of the real old-school derogatory terms, but, like, black people aren't African-Americans. They're the blacks. Like, if oldies music is playing, he starts shaking his hips. I can't quite do it like him. And always comes up, he's like, hey, you know who thinks I'm a great dancer? The blacks. I don't get it, but that's my dad. It comes up every time. So homosexuals, then, aren't, but they're the gays. The gays this, the gays that. So we're at the top of the basement steps. We open the door. We're walking down the steps. And I'm... And on the cement floor in the basement, there's just this mattress. Like, no sheets on it, no nothing. It's like, it's like kind of cockeyed on the floor. And, I, and I'm just like, I look at the mattress. I don't really think anything about it. And, uh, but my dad turns to me and he's like... Oh, yeah, one of Bill's sons is one of the gays. He brings his boyfriends over here and fucks them on that mattress. So I'm like, okay, Dad. Still haven't found any clothes. I mean, we have these, like, plastic grocery bags. So my dad turns on some lights, and he's like, I think I know where the, the washing machine is. He's like, why don't you go in that room? So I turn on the lights, and it's just this little office off to the side. Kind of your basic, messy rec room, basement thing. But I look at one of the walls, about this tall, there's a plywood, shitty plywood coffin. Dad, could you come in here for a second? Yeah, what's going on? Why is there a coffin in here? There's not a coffin. Oh, Bill's building himself a coffin. <laughs> so... I don't really remember much of what we did in the house after that, but I got out of there as fast as I could. We must have gotten to the clothes, or, or maybe not. Drive back. And remember, my, my brother and sister at this time are like seven or nine. We get back to my dad's house. We probably had the chips and dip. I'm like mildly freaked out, but like pretty happy to be out of Bill's house, out of Bill's neighborhood. My little brother and sister are about seven and nine. They kind of come up to me. They slink up to me, almost kind of like the, uh, the Siamese cats in, um, in uh, was it Lady and the Tramp? And I swear they said this in unison, and it almost reminded me of the kids in um, The Shining. They were just like, you went to Bill's, huh? I was like, yeah, pretty weird, huh? 
That's when I knew my little brother and sister were more real than me. So the final caveat to this story is a week or two later, my dad's relationship with Bill ended when Bill put a cinder block through their front window. There you go. That's Barry Osborne. The Narrators Podcast is recorded and produced by the Denver Diatribe. Check out their weekly show at denverdiatribe.com. The Narrators Podcast is brought to you by these amazing sponsors. The great guys at Illegal Pete's and Greater Than Records, who in addition to providing rad burritos all over town, provide great local music and comedy. Check out the appropriately named Sexy Pizza at either of their locations in Capitol Hill or Old South Pearl. Or on their website, sexypizzaonline.com. And finally, by the internet superheroes at Commerce Kitchen, who provide internet marketing solutions and search engine optimization for all your e-commerce needs. Check them out at commercekitchen.com. For more information about the narrators and to listen to past episodes, go to the narratorspodcast.com. Thanks for listening.